Welcome to the Cross to Crown Podcast, where we keep the system out of theology and the baby out of the bathwater. We keep the text in its context and the new in the new covenant. Our mission is to help you live intentionally Christ-obsessed in all things. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Cross the Crown podcast. This is episode 15, so you'll want to be a pastor. And I'm Chris Bales, joined by Doug Gooden. Hello, everyone. And uh, we, uh, uh, number 15, so uh, what is that, three, four months now? How does that work out to you, something like that, four yeah, months? Almost, uh, almost completing four. Four months, wow. So it's gone by really fast. It, it, seems, like, it seems like as soon as we record one, we're recording another one, so it's, it's going by fast for me, so... I know you're, you've got sermons you're doing, you've got uh, books you're writing, so you're, I don't know how you do it with all that. <laughs> well, what, the first thought that came to my mind is I hope it's going by fast for our listeners or they're not like, oh, this thing's dragging on forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> hope they're, they're looking forward to a new episode every Sunday night, Monday morning. Yeah, like your yeah. wife, huh? I understand. Yeah, yeah. yeah she, okay, so uh, she was working on something else, another audio series. Um, teaching series and, and uh, she was going to catch up she said on the podcast when she, when she got finished that she did and so she um, she's been listening to the podcast on the commute and when she gets to work uh, I get like a series of text messages where she's asking questions um, uh, or, or on her way home when she gets home she'll, she'll ask me a bunch of questions she'll comment on like, uh, like I said questions she has for more in-depth information on the topic that we had or uh She'll 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 tell me how my joke didn't turn out well. Um, she she's she's getting to know you really well because of the fact that you know we've read your marriage book and there's a lot of your personality comes out in it. And so she's listening to the podcast and she can see that coming out too. I think she may have made the observation that that, that you and food have an interesting relationship. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure what that means other than maybe ice cream. It, it, it just comes out in your. Um, illustrations often okay. i guess yeah, <laughs> well, I'm yeah. especially to in, everybody, book, you know? in your marriage book <laughs> <laughs> well my uh my family has been listening my kids which has been interesting my teenage kids have been listening in fact uh i forget which episode it was we did recently but my 18 year old daughter was excited that she was here and she actually sat right outside my study to listen as we were doing it live <laughs> of course she couldn't hear your end of it so she's right, only right. hearing my response and sometimes that was confusing to her but uh, she was very interested in what we were going to talk about it might have been the government one i think i think that might have okay been okay um but anyway it's uh, it's fun to hear a variety of ages and, mm-hmm. and folks who are who are listening and all over the country and some uh, even overseas i understand right yes yeah i get a little chart that i can access it tells me where listeners are accessing us at so we are we are international Excellent. <laughs> so we're gonna change our name from the cross the crown podcast to the the international cross the crown podcast ministries or something like that something that sounds sounds like it's a big global ministry or something <laughs> <laughs> well to, yeah no let's just keep it uh, keep it simple <laughs> you need to put a, bit, a, a picture of a globe behind the cross and crown on the on the, the logo now <laughs> it's funny because you do you ever see the churches that have um and I, and I understand it's good to have a, a global mentality and missions but some of the churches that are are uh, that have those big uh statues or even i don't remember who it was it has a revolving globe on it on the quote-unquote stage up front mm-hmm. in the church and 
I'll tell you what, that's distracting. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, oh, so um, what happened this week? Let's see. We had a major national event this week. Uh, we had elections this week. Yeah. So by the time people hear this, uh, it'll have been a week later and, and uh, probably some big news story. Uh-huh. Trump it already. No, well, no pun intended. Oh. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a pretty big deal. Uh, as, uh, as probably everybody knows, my home state, or I guess my adopted state now, Colorado, uh, we, this is our third first. We were the first state mm-hmm. to legalize abortion. After Roe mm. v. Wade, mm. I know that. Uh, a few years ago, we were the first state to legalize pot, mm-hmm. marijuana, and now we are the first state to have an openly gay governor, mm-hmm. uh, as Jared Polis was uh, elected on Tuesday. So that uh, it is fascinating the culture here. People, you know, when they visit or when I go somewhere and talk to people, they're uh, I think especially. Uh, because of focus on the family being headquartered here, mm-hmm. and I forget there are dozens of Christian ministries that are headquartered here in the Springs, um, uh, uh, the Navigators, mm-hmm. and uh, Reach Beyond, which used to be HCJB uh, Radio and Young Life, and just just all these ministries. And wow. you 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 sort of get the impression that we are the Christian mecca, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I first say no, it's the New Jerusalem. Let's let's use biblical language. <laughs> uh, and it is gorgeous. It's beautiful, but uh, actually, there's a, quite a polarization. Uh, I think Dr. Dobson, especially, he got into more and more uh, right wing politics mm-hmm. toward the end of his career. Uh, really polarized people here, and so there are plenty of Christians. But actually, if you take away churches that we would say do not preach the true gospel. We are in the top ten least churched cities in the nation. Mm. Wow! So, uh, so it's a very interesting culture here in Colorado Springs, and then across mm-hmm. the uh, the whole state, there's some very, very hardcore, at least po- politically right wing people, and then uh, some very, very liberal left wing uh, uh, cities. So, anyway, obviously the uh, the liberal agenda has uh, has had a lot of influence. Uh, some would say they're libertarian. And mm-hmm. uh, and I get that, but uh, there's certainly a liberal uh, freedom uh, and, and, and right. things that we would say are immoral are, uh, are uh, part of our culture here. So yeah, interesting, uh, interesting week. Yeah, is it now? Y- y- there's a culture there of um, um, not. I wouldn't say full on persecution. I had trouble using that word persecution in the United States because of what you see with right. Christians. Nobody's suffering. getting beat up. Yeah. No, exactly. But you see a lot of um, opposition toward Christians from, um, for instance, the baker. A situation where he wouldn't bake a cake for homosexuals and now transgenders. Um, let me let me let me clarify. He wouldn't bake a a, a homosexual wedding cake. He would right. bake cake birthday cakes for someone who was gay or whatever. But it's it's for you, homosexual unions and transgender out parties or whatever it might be. Um, he wouldn't do that. And there's a lot of pushback uh, from the government there. Do you see that being even something that's going to be pushed even further with the with the new governor? Yeah, it's hard to say. Uh, you know, that was a big deal nationally, and of course for him it was a it was a horrible thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, down here in the Springs, I didn't see a lot of uh, impact from that, uh, and it's you know there's an agenda for sure, and in and the the liberal parts of the state are up south of Denver where he's at, um, but I don't know it, it because because the uh, state has has. Um, already become so open to all these things mm-hmm. in that sense it's almost like christianity is not a threat anymore 
Mm-hmm. And so it's not as hostile. Again, that was a nationally that was a, a big deal, but here in the in the state, I didn't sense such a big hostility. In fact, uh, there was a big protest staged uh, right after he went back in business. So after the uh, Supreme Court read right. their verdict and right. he, he went back to business, right. there, was, there was this big protest staged, mm-hmm. and, and there were a lot of Christians that showed up ready to uh, stand on the other side of the street just to hold signs and support. And uh, for the people who were against Jack, uh, there were like six. Wow. It was just a big f- f- nothing. So uh, right, right, again, right. I, think, I think so much of this is uh, <laughs> extremism generated by media and those who are trying right. to make this whole stuff a big deal. But in everyday right. life here in the Springs, it's just not that big of an issue. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, reporting from the state of California. Um, <laughs> now, now, it's funny because I, I, I get these posts that pop up on my wall from people from other states and they say something you know about california being wacko and such and and uh, listen guys we christians here in in california we already know okay (laughs) (laughs) we already know and um i just want to let the world know before you get it secondhand um that yes we just did elect someone to be governor of our state that was worse than jerry brown so just Mm. get that out there you know that now (laughs) Um, we are now going to just change the name of our state to San Francisco. Um, <laughs> but uh, I was just, um, uh, I, I sat back and I was amazed at some of the ways that Californians voted. We, we voted for almost every bond for this, this government. We, but we, we, we um, were imposed with a gas tax, unilaterally imposed by the governor last year. And it actually made it on the ballot this year to, to repeal it. It was worded in a way in which you were supposed to vote uh, yes on it, uh, huh. and it was misleading. Yet, yeah, so you saw, so they the advocates for repealing it were pushing yes repeal, yes repeal. Well, um, uh, it was unfortunately some folks thought it was no on gas tax, no on gas tax. And anyways, uh, there was there was a last ditch. Mm, media blitz to to to, to give it a, a facelift and sure enough we we kept that gas tax oh so, no <laughs> all the complaining i heard about gas prices here in southern california and we we, we went ahead and said yes to it and uh it was inter- another interesting thing is is while cal while the country itself experienced a record-setting number i think it was of midterm election turnout san diego here my my city san diego experienced a record low Hmm. Only only 30 percent, 30, 33, 35, something like that percent of the registered voters showed up. So it was very interesting. Wow. Very interesting. So, uh, yeah. So before you start saying stuff and sending me stuff for folks uh, about California, I know already. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't want to take our whole time off on this, but uh, something came to my mind. Uh, we, we as Christians need to be willing to engage in discussions and encourage mm-hmm. one another. But as we talked about in the in the one podcast on government, we, we need to do so you know, gently and carefully and, mm-hmm. and make right. sure that politics is not a higher priority than serving right. Christ and the gospel. And, and the reason that's on my mind, I got a phone call uh, last week, early in the morning, like, I don't know, six o'clock in the morning uh, from a friend of mine. She, she, I hope, I don't suppose she'll be listening to this. Um, and it's fine, fine with me if she does, but her name is Robin. And uh, she was the closest thing I had to a sister growing up. She lived, mm. she lived two doors down on our street and my mom babysat her when I was, uh, well, I think we probably shared a crib together. I mean, as far back as I can remember <laughs> and just grew up together. Her, both of her parents worked. And so after school, she would uh, come and stay with us. And then, uh, during the summer she would, uh, my mom would, would watch her. So she was like a sister to me. 
And, uh, you know, have we just stayed in touch some over the years, although we've kind of lost touch in the last, I don't know, decade or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, I've probably the first, only time I've seen her in the last 10 years was at my mom's funeral a year ago. So anyway, I get this call from her out of the blue. And I thought, you know, the way she introduced it, she just wanted to shoot the breeze. But it turns out she had been flipping through my Twitter feed and she didn't like what she saw. And she called me just so concerned that I might uh, be in any sense a Trump supporter and that as a pastor, I might <laughs> uh, teach and preach and encourage our people to support Trump. And it was it was a fascinating dialogue with her. And I just huh. realized she was so emotionally wound up in this uh-huh. that at that point, at least, especially that early in the morning, I was not uh, interested in I don't want to debate her. I don't want to, I don't want to argue about any of this. Right, right, I asked right. her a couple of questions. There were some assumptions built into a couple of things she said, and I asked her a couple of questions about it. And, you know, she, she clearly has been watching one news network uh, mm-hmm. entirely and those repeating everything that they're saying. And I, and she said, okay, well, I, I'm at work. I got to go, but can we continue to talk about this? And I said, sure. As long as you promise me, we will not stop being friends Right. As we discuss this, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's worthy to discuss and I want to hear your viewpoint. I want to share my viewpoint and wrestle through this, but just assure me that you're not going to judge me and condemn me if I don't come down on the same side of this that you do. And mm-hmm. she goes, oh, no, you know, we love each other. We've been friends forever. And, and that's great. But I just, you know, there was that, that sense of my spirit, like uh, this could so easily become yeah. something yeah. that uh, people who care about each other and Christians uh, take sides on as though this is what unifies us or not mm-hmm. rather than Christ. And so yeah. I just encourage all of our brothers and sisters who are listening to this. Yes. Politics matter. Don't, don't get me wrong. And government matters. And we have a voice and we should talk about these things, mm-hmm. but Christ is the center and, and love and grace and truth all have to be molded together. So that's my, my pastoral admonition as we, uh, no, I, as I we agree. Follow up. I, I agree because I, I, over the election, whenever we hit election season, there's, there's some, folks I've, I've seen on facebook it's really sad who who are very friendly to each other very cordial theologically are lined up so well and then they have a different candidate or a different understanding of a proposition or whatever it might be and all of a sudden there's these daggers and you're like wait a minute guys hold on a second we're we're, we're brothers in christ we're unified through the gospel of jesus what, what are you doing you know but it, it's okay to, to take an interest in stuff but if this has become um, uh, more of our interest, more of our obsession in Christ, then we've got to step back and realize that we're, we're drifting into the zone of idolatry. Yep. Uh, so we've, we've got to be careful with that. Yeah, good. All right. So, Pastor Doug, <laughs> I've got some questions. Like I said, the title of this, this episode is, is So You Want to Be a, a Pastor. And I, I almost thought maybe there was a way um, uh, I could sing this song to the tune of So You Want to Build a Do You Want to Build a Snowman? <laughs> you know, but. I decided against it. That's good. Um, Otherwise, your wife would be texting you. She, what she are you would. doing? Singing, what are you do doing? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's going to listen to you after this. So, so uh, you, the reason we this came up is because we had talked about pastorate stuff before. Uh, you've been a pastor for over twenty years. You've you sit on the board of uh, ordination uh, meetings where you you literally grill a, a candidate, asking them theological questions. And, and uh, testing to see if they are ready for the pastorate as far as their knowledge and, and delving into their lives. You, you've mentored many, many men who are, who, are, who are intending to go into the ministry. You pastor a church, like I said. Uh, you've probably had people come up from your church that have gone into ministry. You also uh, run a seminary out of the church that's, of course, intended to equip men to go out and pastor or minister in some, some way. So... Uh, I think this is going to be a good topic for you 
to talk about. We're not going to delve into uh, a a full in depth. Uh, what is a pastor? The office of the pastor. Uh, different views, etc. So what we're going to do is look at more of a practical thing. And and it, while while sometimes the scope of this podcast may may be limited to, to NCT or what it might be, this may be even to a smaller group. Uh, those men out there who have an interest in the pastorate uh, might be a young man, might be a man who's who's retired or whatever, uh, who's who's maybe have thought about becoming a pastor. So uh, we're going to be looking into the scriptures and also tapping into Doug's wisdom here uh, and his experience. So first of all, you hear a lot of people talk about the pastorate and they say, I feel like I'm called to the ministry. What, what is, what is, <laughs> what does that word call mean? The call, because you look in the scriptures and, and they're like, where's that coming from? The call to the ministry. What, what is that? Yeah. The scripture does not uh, say it like that in terms mm-hmm. of uh, God is just sort of, you know, picked you and summoned you and it's going to be so clear that that you can do no other although uh in my experience actually that is what happened with me um and, and we can get into that sometime if you want uh to me i was running as far and fast away from pastoral ministry as i possibly could and mm-hmm. jesus said at the end of the day nope uh, i'm the i'm the king you're not and uh and you're a pastor um so after about five no's i finally submitted and uh, said okay i'll be a pastor um mm-hmm. but that seemed to be unique. I don't hear a lot of uh, men having quite the same uh, uh, catalyst for becoming a, a minister in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, the closest thing that I can think of in the scripture that lends itself to the sense of call is in Acts 20, where Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders, and he says to them, the Holy Spirit made you elders. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in some sense, I, I don't think it's too crazy to infer that uh, the Spirit just like he draws a person into faith, but mm-hmm. in our experience, we don't necessarily feel drawn. We, we hear the gospel and we didn't want to hear it before. And now we do want to hear it. And we didn't believe it before. And now mm-hmm. we do right. want to believe it. And then later on we realize, Oh, that was the spirit opening my eyes and granting me faith and drawing me into this and that kind of thing. Um, and, and so that can maybe be the uh, similar case when it comes mm-hmm. to, uh, to pastoral ministry. I would say to, uh, to guys who are, interested in this and, and maybe have some desire for this, don't get too caught up in whether or not there's a call that you just can't resist or deny. Um, there is some of that. that uh, Paul says to uh, Timothy, if anyone aspires to this, if they, if, and that sounds like it's coming from within them, you know, they, they feel right. like, I want to serve in this role. Well, if, ever, if others agree, if the other elders and the congregation call you to be an elder, then you've been called. Uh, and you can look back and say the spirit put you there. So I don't know. I don't want to make too much of that or too little. Mm-hmm. Right. I can only, from my experience, there was a clear call, but I don't know that everybody has the same strength of, uh, of internal call. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know I used to ask pastors a lot because I, I used to, though I'm not a pastor, I've been around lots of them because I've been a seminary, um, been in the church for over 40 years as a believer um, and so I, I, sometimes I'll ask them, how, how are you called? Um, and I get some different stories, uh, some similar to yours. And then some will say, you know, um, it was just a burden upon my heart, uh, hmm. to serve an overwhelming burden where I just felt like this, this desire to serve in, in this way. Um, some would say that, uh, it was congregational recognition, um, whatever it might've been and they, and they, not the congregation recognized them, they were anti 
I mean, actually, I have heard some folks that say, you know, I was pretty resistant to it. I think you mentioned something there about how you were running from it. But there's some who have said, you know, I was running from it. I was resisting it, going, that's not me. That's not what I want to do. But yet the burdens kept popping up or the, the, this, this, uh, this pulling, if you will, in that direction um, in, their, in their hearts and their lives. So though mentally they, they said, no, I could never do that, whether doubting their abilities and not focusing upon the grace of Christ or for whatever reason. They 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 uh, they've, they've given a different uh, reason why they couldn't do the call do do the pastoral ministry. Um, what what um, so how does how does someone know if they're being called? What what do you what someone say? You got a young man who comes and says, you know, I'm I'm not sure if I have this calling going on in my life. What would you what would you encourage him to do? Um, I think, as you alluded to, I, I think. Certainly, they need to um, examine their gifting, and do they have mm-hmm. the right? Uh, well, let me back up. First, they need to examine the qualifications in First uh, okay. Timothy three and Titus one, and make sure that uh, there's no egregious uh, errors there in their qualifications. And then, assuming that that is true, that they're they're good to go there, they they should examine their gifting and their talents and their abilities, and and say, okay, do these fit the uh, the responsibilities of a pastor or elder? And that's where other elders and the congregation and people who know them well all should speak into that. Uh, so, you know, the, the reform guys, um, here's a place where I think they get it right. Um, no, they're plenty. But <laughs> it, they, they, would all, they will speak of an inner call and an outer call. The inner mm-hmm. call being that sense in your own spirit that the Lord is, is moving you in this direction. But, of course, we know how our, our minds can go the way we desire them to go sometimes. And, and what's really just a, a wish or a preference or desire, we, we say, oh, God's calling me to this. Um, and so we, don't, we wouldn't say you want to rely merely on that desire, but then you're seeking the external call. That's from the, the call of men where others mm-hmm. recognize that, yes, you have these gifts and abilities and qualifications, and uh, they, they have a spot for you and say, here, we, we think you should serve on the elder board, that kind of thing. So I, I think there's some, some biblical support for that, and, that, and it just seems that there's some wisdom to that. So if a young man came to me, as has happened many, many times, mm-hmm. that's what I tell him. I say, all right, let's, let's look at your life, look at your character, um, and see if there's any uh, huge uh, problems here with the qualifications. Uh, can you teach at all? It, it, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Someone says they have to give to teaching, and then they get in front of a class and no one comes up, comes back next week. Okay, maybe, maybe you've got uh, either a lot of work to do or mm-hmm. you don't really have that gifting. And, and a, a, an elder does not always have to teach publicly in front of a large right. group, but they right. have to be able to transfer the information of truth to at least a, you know, a person or a couple or a small group kind of thing. So they have to somehow be able to teach fairly well. Um, so you start testing those things and see if they have those things. Have you ever had anybody come to you with, you know, informing you of their desire to uh, be a pastor and it caught you off guard because it was something you didn't see at all before? Uh, Never would have expected? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, in, in those situations, it's, uh, it's always been pretty obvious to the rest of us. Mm. Uh, this guy's got a lot of work to do before he would be ready to be a shepherd. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't, I can't say that I've ever had anybody do that, that the rest of us hadn't already observed it. Okay. You know what I mean? It just, right. some of those things are so obvious, especially if, if, uh, for, we don't, we don't bring guys on to our, uh, elder board who are mm-hmm. new in the faith. Obviously we right. have reason for that. And even newer around our church, 
because we want to observe them for a while. And uh, mm-hmm. so we get a chance to see. And, and the elders are typically always thinking about this. We talk about this regularly and say, you know what, that guy in a year or two, I bet he's going to be, I bet he's going to come to us or we're going to go to him because we just see it in him, but he needs to grow a little bit more. needs to solidify his marriage or whatever. Right. I'm going to ask you about those topics too. So um, what, what's a, what's a general job description for a pastor? What would you say the, the pastor does? Well, uh, do you mean from the or scripture is. or from, uh, from yeah. real life? For, um, for both. Because <laughs> both in real life uh, really does depend on your location and the size of your congregation. Um, location, you know, in America, you there are just certain things you have to have. People are not going to like to hear me say this probably, but in America, you have to to some degree wear a CEO hat. If you're a, or at least a, a, a there, have you, are you familiar with the book, The Trellis and the Vine? Oh, yes. It's a fantastic book. It is great. It's and, a great book. And the, uh, the metaphor itself, I use it all the time. It's so, it's so helpful to me. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not just for elders and pastors. It's for discipleship. But, but the, the metaphor itself is, is so helpful. So the trellis is, mm-hmm. is not the end game. You're, you're, you don't, it doesn't exist for itself. It's right. to raise a healthy vine. Right. But if you don't give a proper attention to the trellis, then your vine is mm-hmm. not going to grow healthy. If you focus on the trellis and that becomes your end all be all, then you've lost the reason why you're doing this in the first place. So in our day there, you have to give attention to the trellis of mm-hmm. the church to, it's just the, by nature of who we are. I don't love this. Um, in fact, one of the answers to the question in last <laughs> week's podcast um, uh, one of the, one of my answers was, you know, we, we've developed this Sunday morning mindset that you, you meet at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning and that is church. And that is the gathering of the church. And, and it's like this holy set apart time that, uh, as though the Bible says meet at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning kind of thing, <laughs> which obviously it doesn't. Right. Um, but, but that's just, that's where we are. And if you, if you stop doing that as a church in America today, you're not going to have a church. That, that, that's just the right. way it is. And there's nothing right. wrong with meeting at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's a good thing, but it's, it's just not what God, he doesn't tell us to do that exactly that way. So mm-hmm. if you have a Sunday morning gathering and you don't give any attention to welcoming visitors, to just the general look and feel of your building, mm-hmm. if people are not warm and greeting, if the uh, the service itself, which again I would argue, there is no biblical requirement to have a Sunday morning service. We can talk about that sometime mm-hmm. if you want to, but that's what we do. It's it's our tradition. It's our liturgy. It's what it's what we do. We have a service. If that service is complete chaos, and nobody knows what they're doing, and people are interrupting each other, and if you have music and it's it's just chaotic and it's all distracting. No one is focused on, focusing on Christ because they're too distracted by all the incompetence that's going on around them. Uh, if you don't give attention to those details, then when people come, again, they are not focused on Jesus. They're not focused on the Word. They're focused on all the, all the stuff going on around them because it's so, so poorly done. So all that to say, a pastor today has to be able to give some attention to keeping things uh, organized and structured so that people receive what you wanted them to receive. I tell our music team, for instance, all the time, I tell pastors and, and preachers and students when they're going to preach, I, I tell them all the time, uh, your job is to get out of the way. Our hmm. music team, our pastors, our, whoever's reading the scripture or whatever, your job is to get out of the way. 
mm-hmm. so that people can see Christ. You could be in the way two different ways. You can be in the way by being a, a show off. Hey, look at me. You know, I'm a great singer. I'm a great piano player, whatever. I'm a great preacher. Look at me. Or you can get in the way by being incompetent and people are distracted and they're no longer listening to your words. They're confused. That's why you're even up there. You can't sing in tune or whatever. The job is to do it well. Your goal is to do it well so that people are pointed to Jesus. As a mm-hmm. pastor today, you have to be concerned with those things. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you just do in, in, the, in the service and that kind of thing. So anyway, that's, that's part of it. We, structural, the trellis, we, and, that, and that has to do with all kinds of organizational kinds of things in the sense there's a there's – a, I mean, I am the CEO. We are, uh, we are a nonprofit 501c3 corporation <laughs> in the state of Colorado. Right. And we just right. are. And so I am, I'm responsible to make sure the organization piece is run well. But that, none of that is biblical. That's just mm-hmm. the virtue of where we are. The, the yeah. biblical uh, job description is something else. Sounds like you want to jump in here. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so just to clarify, your church um, and your ecclesiology of, uh, at your church, you are the senior pastor, correct? Correct. Correct. Okay. So there's, a, there's, <clears throat> there's a, some churches who that's all they have. Now, you've been, just to clarify, for some people who may not be familiar with the different types of ecclesiology out there, um, Doug's used the word elders because uh, he holds to plurality of elders. Evidently, you see that because he's talking about eldership. He's the senior elder. Uh, now, let me ask you, uh, just to clarify, would you see yourself as um, in a hierarchical elder, or eldership or uh, all equal, but you have a, a more of a full-time focus, vision-driven type? That's your responsibility or what? Yeah, great question. Um, so it comes again back to the trellis and the vine idea. So mm-hmm. when it comes to everything I was just describing, running mm-hmm. the organization, that's where my senior leadership authority mm-hmm. comes. I have been delegated by the elders, plural, mm-hmm. to right. run the organization efficiently. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, if we get snow here on Sunday, which they're forecasting, uh, somebody's got to make the call. Are we going to have a right. service on Sunday? Uh, and, and just those kind of logistical things. Well, a committee of you know, even two making those decisions is not very efficient, but certainly a committee of 12 is, is just, that's not how, how you want to do things. So those kind of decisions have been delegated to me. We have, we have a, right. a certain amount of staff that we pay to just take care of, of the, the structure of the organization. So I'm, I'm there, I'm the boss of, of that staff in, in that sense. When it comes to the true biblical leadership of shepherding and, and spiritual authority and the real, uh, the, the real purpose of eldership, I'm just one of 12. And right. my vote is no bigger than anybody else's. And if, Oh, you got 12. We have 12 elders, yes. That's the, you got the number. The perfect number, 12. yes. <laughs> we're about to add a couple more, though, so we're about to, about to become less biblical there. Um, but that's, that's – uh, so my, I'm, obviously I have more influence on the church because I preach right. most often. You preach every Sunday, right. And because this is my full-time job, I can give mm-hmm. more attention – to things and think things through and bring pre- presentations to the board. I do a lot of work for the board and say, here's my view on these things. Now you guys all pick it apart and let's come to a meeting of minds. Mm-hmm. And somebody else comes and says, Nope, I think that's not the best choice. Let's go this way or whatever. And I have to submit to that because they are, we're, we're all equals. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't even subscribe so much to uh, Alexander Strauch. His book on biblical ownership, by the way, is, is really, really mm-hmm. good. He talks yeah. about the first among equals and, right. uh, and there's a place for that. Um, but I will tell you at our board meetings, when all 12 of us gather, I'm not the first among equals. I'm one among equals. Right. And, right. and again, there are different guys that have different persuasive personalities and leadership, and they typically move 
the, 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 the board forward more quickly than those who are a little bit quieter or whatever, but it's not a, an authority thing. It comes back to right. just gifting and, and personality and that kind of stuff. So uh, I would be perfectly fine. Let me, let me say this out loud. I would be perfectly fine to get rid of the title pastor or senior pastor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, in fact, I tried to do that some years ago. And uh, I, I was making the point in a sermon series that elders, pastors, bishops, or elders, pastors, overseers are all exactly the same role in right. office in the scripture. Right. And so I said, you know, you could stop calling me pastor and, let's, and call me elder. Yeah. Well, you just can't push against the stream, right? You can't swim upstream. It's so ingrained in who we are as Christians that didn't stop anybody with the labels. And so basically, here's how we look at it at our church. Um, those of us who are full-time elders, we designate us with the, the label pastor and the ones who are not full-time elders, we call them elders, but we tell our people all the time, there Mm -hmm. is no distinction here. We are all equal in authority and don't hold any of us up in high esteem. So my senior role is purely at the organizational level, not the spiritual level. Yeah. You know, I mean, just on a practical level, you know, I agree with you on it about eldership, overseer, pastor, all being same, all equal, equal. But just on a, on a, on a practical, experiential uh, note here, in the churches that I've gone to, been members of, uh, I've observed that have an elder board where they're equal. You know, that guy who is up front every Sunday, typically preaching, he even though even if the congregation understands the uh, that they're all elders they tend to call that gentleman up there the pastor and i think mm-hmm. that's more of a familiarity type name a a, a relational name sometimes uh, pastor is someone who uh, is is more personal right uh, and i think that's just because maybe our american heritage where uh, the the pastor was the only person in the church that was supposed to be leading the church and uh, the one who got up and preached every Sunday. I think that maybe maybe that's how it's gotten in our vocabulary, why we do it. But um, uh, I, and I noticed that even even though there's equality amongst them, there always seems to be someone that emerges as quote unquote the senior pastor, mm-hmm. uh, and not that he's lording it over anybody, but just it's just an understanding that he's full time, he's up there every Sunday. Um, so I, while, while, while we have to have that theological understanding, I don't think there's anything wrong with understanding. Okay, this guy's. Uh, going up and preaching and, and helping to lead the congregation. Now, let me ask you a question. Here's, a, here's one thing I like to ask pastors who are on eldership uh, boards. Who determines what you preach? Uh, I do. Uh, certainly, I am open to counsel, and I will uh, often say to our guys, hey, you know, as we're finishing up this series, what is on your heart? What do you think would be good for our flock? Mm-hmm. And I give that due consideration, right. but uh, they are, they're careful to just say, Hey, we want you to preach what the Lord, uh, where you think the Lord's taken us and that kind of thing. So it's, it's a, if you have a healthy board, there's no power struggle here. And so if they come to me and say, we think you should do this. Like, well, so we talked about the sexual sin series that we did mm-hmm. uh, in, the, in the summer. Um, I was ready to start the gospel of John in like August and mm-hmm. in an elder meeting, we were talking about, some things going on in the, in the church. And, and, and someone said, you know, we just don't address this enough. And another guy said, why don't we do a sermon series on it? And mm-hmm. I said, great, we'll hold John off. Let's address this. So that's kind of how it works. In our church. Let me ask you this one further. Um, do you submit your, your uh, sermon notes to an elder or the elder board before you preach? Uh, 
<laughs> I would be happy to do that if I preached with notes. Um, <laughs> no, I don't. I, I, and again, I, that's kind of how they trust me. Mm-hmm. And I'm still in submission to them. Mm-hmm. If I preach something they don't approve of, they have every right to pull me aside. Right. And uh, if we can't come to a meeting of the minds, at the end of the day, I still have to submit to that. I don't have to believe what they tell me to believe. But the board as a whole does have the right to say, we're not going to teach that here. And now I have to decide, can I submit to that? Or do I know, am I no longer a good fit here? Right. You know, that kind of thing. Right, right. Um, let, me, let me say one more thing to the earlier question. Uh, so we launched our first campus mm. a year and a half ago. And we sent two men out to co-pastor it. And there's also a, an elder, uh, a non-full-time elder there with them. And just to, for a lot of reasons, but one was to kind of mitigate that idea that that one man is our leader. And that's going to be our MO going forward as we, as we launch campuses. And I would be fine to bring on somebody to co-lead with me. Um, I have been advised against that even by some of our elders, because they think I've been here so long, it just wouldn't work. And it would be very difficult for somebody right. to, to come alongside. Mm-hmm. But when, uh, when I am replaced, my plan is, my hope is that we replace me with two men at, at our current campus that, that I'm leading that, uh, that will bear that load. I just think that model is, is biblical and it avoids some of that uh, one man issue that you were describing. Okay. Let's, I want to I dive into some scripture here. Uh, we, we alluded to it already. Let's uh, dive into this, this, this 1 Timothy chapter 3. I think it would be good for us to look at these because I think this is an essential part for the young man who's, who's questioning uh, the, about going into the ministry. Uh, let, me, let me go ahead and read this here from, from uh, chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. It says, uh, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. An overseer, therefore, must be a must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, but not greedy. He must manage his own household complete, uh, competently and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? He must not be a new convert, and he might uh, or he might become conceited or incur the same condemnation as the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders so that he does not fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. Um, and then, of course, it goes on to qualifications of the deacons, which is very similar. So uh, let, let's, let's go through that. Um, how do you, how do you when, when someone comes to you and says they're, they're interested in the pastoral office, do you take them through this and, and see where they might be uh, lacking or, or need work at or, or uh, commend them for where you see this in their lives? Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, really the first thing we do. Uh, we start with, you know, he says, if you aspire to the office of overseer or bishop, uh, the word is episcopus, we get the word episcopalian from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we start there and say, okay, uh, tell me why you aspire to this and what do you think that it means to be mm-hmm. an overseer. Right. And then I walk them through what it actually means if, if they're incorrect. And we talk about all three terms. Shepherd connotes that, that care, that feeding, protecting, those kind of things. Uh, and I take them to the other passages like Acts 20 and Titus mm-hmm. 1 and right. 1 Peter 5. And, and we just make sure we have a clear, he has a clear understanding of what this role is. 
We talk about uh, the authority in the word overseer. Uh, it was a, an old naval term uh, where a guy was given, he was a captain, and it was his prerogative to inspect the, uh, the troops. Uh, I'm kind of mixing my military mm-hmm. metaphors there, but um, <laughs> I, was, I, I had the opportunity years ago to, uh, to uh, there was a guy in our church who was the commander of Fort Carson here in Colorado Springs, and at his retirement ceremony, uh, I was uh, invited to come and be part of that ceremony, and I watched him do his final walkthrough. So he, you know, he walked up and down the lines as the soldiers were all lined up in formation, and uh, you know, it was all ceremonial, of course. But as as the highest overseer at this uh, at this fort, um, if they didn't have their shoes uh, polished just right, and you know, inspecting the the beds, if they if they weren't if you couldn't bounce a quarter off of them, those kind of things, um, you know, they were in trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other other side, if they did it well, they were committed. That's what this word overseer talks about. Of you have the right to discipline those who uh, are not falling in line, and then you have the uh, authority to commend them if they do it well. The bishop uh, or overseer has to do with, and then elder. That's you know even carrying over from the Old Testament, mm-hmm. probably mm-hmm. Uh, this idea of the senior leaders, the uh, the wise men who make decisions. So all three of those kind of hit at a little bit different uh, different angle. So I I ask them, you know, what uh, what do you think this looks like in the local church? What why do you aspire to it, and so on. And after we had that discussion, then we get into these qualifications, and we talk about being above reproach. And I go through some of the obvious mm-hmm. ones, like you know, are you looking at porn? Um, it would, if, if somebody went searching through your history, would they find things that would be offensive to the Lord and bring reproach upon his name? Does anybody have anything right now that they can say, you know, Chris, I see this all the time. I, I listen how he yells at his kids and mm-hmm. throws his kids around the backyard. Okay. <laughs> um, or he's got that pirate thing. And I think that's the devil, you know, <laughs> that's just not going to work. <laughs> And, and so, I, you know, we ask them, and uh, that's what I think above reproach means is, of course, we're not sinless, mm-hmm. but is there any ongoing sin that somebody else can point to and say, I see this in you, and that's not good. Um, the husband of one wife, that one is, uh, that one's harder for a lot of people, just to even what, it, what does it mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know S. Lewis Johnson? Does that name mean anything yeah. to you? Yes, I do. The old uh, mm-hmm. uh, dispensational guy from, uh, yeah. from Dallas Theological Seminary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, as I understand it, he took this to mean husband of one wife ever. Mm-hmm. And so when his first wife died, mm-hmm. oh. he was an elder until he got remarried. Mm-hmm. And he decided this disqualified him, even though right. almost everybody would say right. if your spouse dies, <laughs> yeah. you're free to be remarried. Not even, not even divorce, but a, a remarriage after being a widower. Exactly. Right. Interesting. Um, yeah. That's not how I take it, uh, and I don't think it's polygamy that's the concern because the same phrase is used in chapter 5 of widows, uh, only is in the inverse. She mm-hmm. must have been the wife of one husband. Uh, that's very unlikely that Paul's concerned that this woman might have had two or three husbands at a time. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, polyandry was just not a thing. Mm-hmm. So it seems most likely in this list of characteristics, because all the rest of them are characteristic, that uh, he's saying basically the, the, the phrase in the Greek is uh, man of one woman. It seems like his point is, are you devoted to your wife? Are mm-hmm. you committed to her? Uh, are you faithful to her? And so, yeah, we dig into to their marriage and, uh, right. and say, hey, and I talk to their wives typically. Did, and, uh, what about, so would you take this as someone who has been divorced either prior to Christ or um, a divorce since Christ, he's been a Christian? 
Yeah, it's not my position that divorce automatically right. eliminates a man from qualification. I would want to talk to him about that right. divorce. Yes. And to me, it doesn't matter whether it was before or after right. he was a Christian so much, although that, that maybe play into it. But mm-hmm. if he if he now says, um, I admit it was sin for me to get divorced, I was I just wasn't happy and mm-hmm. I walked out on her. And if it was, you know, 30 years ago and he's repentant and he's grown now, to me, that does not automatically disqualify right. him. If his attitudes was like, eh, yeah, she was just awful and I couldn't stand her anymore and I'd do it again. OK, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's probably going to disqualify <laughs> right. you uh, in, in this case. Yeah. Now, now, let me ask you, because some folks have taken this qualification to mean that he has to be married. Does, yeah, I grew does, up in that tradition. Okay, mm-hmm. does, does someone have to be married in order to be and, – and in conjunction with this, that, that, because the next part is about their children. Right. Do, do their children – do they have to have – do they have to be married, and do they have to be married with children? Yeah. Um, I can understand why somebody would conclude that. Uh, it is really hard for me to say that uh, Jesus himself or the Apostle Paul mm-hmm. would be disqualified from being an elder in my church. Okay. Um, now, it's probably true that Paul had been married – um, he, I don't think he could have been on the Sanhedrin if right, he uh, right. hadn't been married at some point. But uh, I don't think so. I don't take it that way. Uh, right. I think there's wisdom in in being a, a husband and a father. Right. I think that does prepare you for eldership. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't see it that way. Right. Now, uh, digging into that again. Okay, so uh, some folks have, have taken it to where uh, about the children being under control with all dignity. Some folks, have, for some reason, I guess it's from some older translations as well, have taken it to be that the children have to be Christians. Well, Titus says that. Mm-hmm. Uh, either you translate it as faithful or believer. Either mm-hmm. way, if mm-hmm. they're not faithful, if they're not uh, confessing Christ. Um, so, yeah, that's a hard one. Um, certainly what's ruled out here in First Timothy is the idea that they are out of control, regardless of whether or not they profess faith, if they mm-hmm. are sinning and out of control, then right. you're disqualified because you can't manage your own household. Um, I Putting the two passages together, again, I, the way I take it is they have to profess Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, from our perspective, they're believers. Obviously, you can't know their heart, and when they're 25, they may renounce Christ altogether. I don't think that disqualifies the dad. Right. Uh, obviously, you can't go back and disqualify him, but I don't think it disqualifies him today. But if you have children who are openly disavowing Jesus, uh, children who are in your home, who you, whom you're still responsible for and you're still raising, if they disavow Christ, uh, yeah, I think that disqualifies a person. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I actually uh, was at a church, uh, and after I'd left it, there was a report of this young lady who was a, the pastor's daughter who um, was causing disruptions in the church because she was at, openly opposed to Christ. And she would actually mm-hmm. get up there in the middle of the sermons and start arguing with her father who was preaching about Christianity. Hmm. <laughs> and unfortunately that carried on for several years and, and nothing was done about that. But, um, uh, so, but we're not saying that children say, for instance, you got to be professing Christ. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> That's, they, uh, they don't profess much when they're unable to speak well. So, <laughs> right. But I think parenting, uh, discipline comes in there. Mm-hmm, if, mm-hmm. if you see a man who is letting his child right. run, crazy and there's no discipline there then that shows you something about his qualification to lead the church mm-hmm. um yeah absolutely i mean we talked about this in the baptism podcast uh you, you know we want to wait and see a true work of the spirit and that who knows when that's going to happen um but at the same time i think 
you know, any, any child growing up in the church mm-hmm. in, with Christian parents, they are going to say they believe in Jesus. That, that's just mm-hmm. what kids yeah. do who grow up in a Christian home. So, yeah, if you've got a toddler saying, I don't believe in Jesus, <laughs> then I would say, yeah, you're disqualified. Yeah, that's, that's, that would be an oddity. That would be something very strange. <laughs> right. To be truthful. Um, right. If you, if you're, if, cause children typically will emulate what, what's being taught in the home and, and uh, the example of their parents. And if they're, they're completely saying, I don't believe in this, I, I have no affections in this area. Um, then there's, there's probably something going on in the home that needs to be addressed. Absolutely. What, now verse six is a good one. Um, he must not be a new convert. What, what do you guys, do you guys have a standard age or, um, or excuse me, standard, uh, uh time period when someone needs to be a christian before uh, ordaining them or just something yeah good question uh this has to be a relative (laughs) term Mm -hmm. i say that because when paul is going around appointing elders in the first century the oldest convert he could have (laughs) had would have been three years old in the lord maybe two right right he goes and converts all these people and comes back through and says hey timothy appoint elders well, they've only came to Christ two years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, re- it's got to be relative. In right. our church, we're, we're established, we're large enough, we've got so many men who have been Christians for decades, it would be absolutely foolish for us to bring somebody on as an elder who's only been a Christian two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, you think about missionaries going overseas to, uh, to dark lands, and they, they go into a, a hostile area, and the Lord works, and dozens of people come to Christ. I think they should appoint elders fairly soon, by meaning in a year or two, and those guys are just not going to be very grown up in the, in the faith because, because they can't be. But they're more mature than someone who just came to faith yesterday, and that's what they have to work with. Uh, mm-hmm. But in our case, that would be foolish to do that. So we don't have a set age. Uh, we seek the Lord. Uh, we examine, and uh, we, it doesn't matter how old they are. In fact, what's, what I love about our, we have a, this is, our, our, our church is healthy. I'm convinced because we have such a healthy eldership. Right. These men are great. They're true shepherds. They're not just, uh, let's pick new paint, you know, color for the walls, that kind of thing. These <laughs> men are true shepherds who dive into to the lives of our people and, and exhort them and so on. And uh, uh, where was I going with that? Um, we're healthy. Uh, I just lost my train of thought. Um, would be fools to bring them on. Is, is there a max age for eldership when they start losing their? Oh memory? no! He, yeah, here's what I'm I was so yeah, exactly. I may have just reached that. Um, what I love about it is some of these guys who've been on the board for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, one one elder said recently said, "You know, we don't want to become the blue haired eldership. We need to find some younger blood, right, and we right, need some right. new ideas, and we need yeah. to realize that we've been doing this together for a long time. It may be time to and- bring in some fresh." some fresh guys to, uh, and, to bring and, new ideas. Right. And there's also, you want to train you. Well, I've seen that where there's these elder boards that, uh, they're all older folks, but you got to realize that, that there's, our days are numbered and these guys will start passing away. Eventually you need to, to bring on some younger elders or newer elders, um, and then train them up and they get the experience, the experience of the older guys. And so as they're growing up and, and older ones are leaving, you've got, you're leaving them with experienced pastors. Oh, it's crucial. Re- yeah. Reproducing leaders is just yeah. it's crucial it's, for church health. It is. It is. Now, let me ask you. I'm going to come back to that, too, in a minute. But um, a new convert. Now, it's talking about spiritual age, if you will. What about physical age? An 18-year-old. 
who's been a Christian for most of his adult life or most of his most of his life. Yeah, I would uh, again depend on the context and the and the, and the situation mm-hmm. in the missions uh, example I was giving. Maybe um, in our context, context no, okay. uh, because there are so many people older than him and men who are going to be wiser than him. First of all, it's not good for him. He, he's he's going to be treated like you know the the, the JV player mm-hmm. at that point. And he just needs to grow up in the Lord more and get more wisdom. Uh, yes, he's been in the Lord for a while, but as a man, mm-hmm. he needs to grow in the Lord more. Because, uh, again, compared to the people he's leading, he's not wise compared to them. Again, if he were in a situation where he was, he's been a Christian for 10 years and everybody else is younger in the faith than him, then he's your best candidate probably mm-hmm. if you do that. In our context, that would be foolish. But what we do is we, we bring them around and, and we invest in them. We mentor them and we let them to come to elder meetings and, and you know, they don't get to speak in with a, a authoritative vote kind of thing, but they can sit in and, and right. learn and, and voice their opinion. And so again, we're trying, always trying to raise up that next generation of, of leaders. Yeah. I remember I was, I was 17 years old when I was licensed as a minister in a church. And, um, uh, I sat in on not as intensive a board as what you guys do for, for ordination, of course. Uh, but I sat in on a board and, um, uh, while I was, I was given the green flag, green light to, to, to be licensed as a minister, um, the, the pastors, uh, all gave me different advice and stuff and thoughts that, uh, for the future, where I should be headed to. And, and, um, amongst the, 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 the desire for them to see me go to seminary, eventually the head pastor said, uh, my greatest advice for you is to join the military. Hmm. <laughs> he says, get some years of life behind you, hmm. get some experience, get some maturity, there's things that uh, seminary will not teach you. <laughs> right. Which is he, why we do it in uh, the way we do it. We want right. to give guys that experience. Right, right, exactly. And I think that's crucial. And, I, uh, and I'm sure one of the things that you would tell people, who, young men who are, who are desirous of the ministry, you would say one of the things you need to do is start coming on board, start uh, learning from us, hands-on type thing. Right, absolutely. Yep. Uh, is, this is not merely academia. Academics mm-hmm. is the easy part. Uh, and you know, most guys get into pastoral ministry because they want to teach mm-hmm. and te- right. teaching is the easy part of yes. pastoral ministry. Yes. Uh, people, guys do not get burned out. They don't walk away from pastoral ministry because of the teaching. Right. Uh, it's because of people. Yeah. Uh, church yeah. would be a very, this would be a great job if it weren't for people. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's the, the sheep are, they, they bite, they, they're messy. They suck you into the, to the, the darkness with them at times. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, you think of the Psalm 23 and the good shepherd there, uh, what he does. Well, we do that too as shepherds and, mm-hmm. uh, it's hard at times and they don't always like it. They don't always receive the discipline. You know, you got the rod there, the rod and mm-hmm. the staff, they comfort me. Well, <laughs> people don't always feel comforted uh right away when when you bring those things and uh so that's the hard part and when people you know there's a reason paul said uh to timothy don't let an accusation be received against an elder unless there are at least two witnesses well there's a reason for that you know Mm -hmm. the enemy is out to get us Mm -hmm. i tell guys all the time if you become an elder you're going to have a bigger target on your back than ever the enemy is going to fire his darts at you every single day and there's that structure in place where somebody can't get disgruntled at you and accuse you of something horrible 
Mm-hmm. If there's not other witnesses, then that person's to be quiet, and that's to protect us because people want to take us down because the enemy wants yeah. to take us down, and he's going to do right. everything he can to sow discord and distrust among church leaders. Yeah, strike the shepherds, scatter the sheep. Exactly. That's exactly what's going on there. Now, let me let me ask you. Uh, you mentioned education. How essential is it that someone goes to seminary, or is it necessary? It's absolutely essential that they come to New Covenant School of Theology. I mean, I, I don't see why anybody would dare to become a pastor without the coming to New Covenant School of Theology. Um, you know, these days, again, the academic piece is so much easier to get. They're, the resources are amazing. Mm-hmm. Still, and the reason we do it the way we do it, uh, all of our professors uh, are pastors and, uh, and elders. And, and the reason we do it that way is... It just, it's so different when you're hearing these things being taught by someone who lives this rather than an academic. There is a place for the academic for sure. And for mm-hmm. theologians who spend their whole careers in, uh, in academic theology, there's a place for that. But we're trying to raise up pastors, mm-hmm. not seminary professors in, in the traditional sense. And not scholars who are going to write a uh, hundred books, you know, six hundred pages each that uh, uh, that talk about the nuances of the yod. Uh, that, that, that's not what we're after. We're trying to raise up shepherds who who are going to shepherd the sheep and raise up healthy, mature Christians. That's best done by shepherds who know what it's like every day, not just reading it in a book. And so, I think it, it matters to get good education uh, and and be be mentored in this one way or the other. So the traditional route is you go to a, a seminary and, you know, you're taught the theology and you have a, a few internships or uh, mentoring situations, but those are, those are not great. Uh, they just can't be they're, they're not set up to be that. Um, mm-hmm. And then hopefully you go and sit under a pastor right. on staff maybe for a couple of years and really get a sense of what it's like before you're given that kind of authority. Or you, you come to a school like ours, which, you know, you are immersed in pastoral ministry and responsibility from day one, and mm-hmm. you're getting academics, but it's in the context of what it means to really serve people in the local church. And that has to happen. You have to get both and. So do you mm-hmm. have to go to seminary? I don't think so. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, the danger of not going to a, a formal organized school is the theology you're learning could be haphazard and chaotic and uh, could be all kinds of things. You could easily distract it. You know, we tend to uh, go down paths that we're interested in and those may not be the paths that are most helpful in shepherding mm-hmm. in our seminary, right. for instance, in our school, uh, we cover, we go through every book in the new Testament, right? The seminar, I went to two seminaries, mm-hmm. two reform seminaries, and mm-hmm. we did the whole new Testament in three surveys mm-hmm. and we spent, right. I forget if I had 10 or 11 theology courses Right. We look at that and say, that's backwards. That, that is, right. That's upside down. Yep. We need to stay in the scriptures if we're preparing men to teach and preach the scriptures and then cover theology in some overview classes. Yeah. I remember when I was in seminary, you know, when I say seminary, by the way, folks, I'm not saying a master's degree program. I went to uh, Southern Baptist Seminary, the Boyce College of the Southern Baptist mm. Seminary. Okay. So just, just to clarify, I'm not trying to say that I'm something I'm not. Um, but I had a, uh, I was in a biblical studies degree program and, um, intensives or, or single books of the, of the new Testament were electives and you only had a certain amount of electives you, you could take. And I always thought that was kind of backwards too, because of the fact that here we are biblical studies and a lot more of our courses should have been uh, intensified studies of books of the Bible rather than again, surveys of the Bible for, for the entire Bible in four semesters. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and, and you know, we did, we did a three three semesters of survey in theology, uh, church history, uh, all, a lot of various other things. But but I, I thought the uh, while we did do great studies in Greek and Hebrew, I thought the uh, uh, individual courses in the in the in the individual texts of the of the, script, of the New Testament should have been essential. Should have been in there. Um, let me let me uh, ask you this too. You you started talking about some of the dark side of the pastorate <laughs> what are, and, and, and and i guess this goes along also with the job description um because the fact that you we said that you pastor you you preach uh there's administration responsibilities but there's also like counseling that goes along shepherding you know individuals or or being involved in marriage counseling or or talking to someone about their porn habits or um settling disputes and stuff what what are what are some of the dark sides what are the, what are the downsides uh of this yeah let me let me back up one step which we we haven't actually stated this out loud mm-hmm. the the purpose mm-hmm. of eldership i think the 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 clearest passage is ephesians 4 uh there it talks about apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and mm-hmm. teachers the goal there is to equip the saints right it is crucial, and, and, and this, this is the, uh, the vine piece of the trellis of the vine. Um, I may have leadership responsibilities over the administration of the church, but the goal is not for a hired staff or hired pastors to do ministry. The goal is mm-hmm. that people of right. the church are doing the ministry. That's our goal, and the end goal of that is that everyone grows up to mature Christians, mm-hmm. Right. It's it's not to have a really slick youth group. It's not to have a rocking Sunday morning service. It's not to have the most well um, well defined welcome you know process cues of things where people get your first touch and next thing you know they're a member because we have this wonderful uh, process to walk them through from first uh, appearance all the way through membership. We have all those things, by the way, but that's not the goal. That's not what we're after. That's not the getting them into a formal program is not what we're after. It's mature believers in Christ. And in order to accomplish that, you've got to be around the people. You've got to be in the lives of the sheep to see where they, where they are immature. Uh, yes, I can Sunday after Sunday preach truth, but that in and of itself is not transforming people. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously the Holy Spirit uses that, but he also uses life on life, all the one another's. And there are a bunch of them, 31 of them, I believe, uh, where we are told to build into, each one, uh, into one another and encourage one another and, and challenge one another, all those kind of things. And so as a shepherd, one of my jobs is when the sheep goes wandering off, I'm supposed to go find him. Mm-hmm. You know, we use the, uh, the lost sheep uh, from Luke. We, again, it's one, another one of those passages. We really don't understand what it means. Those lost sheep of Israel is what they are. They're not, um, they're not non-Christians. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're uh, Israel, uh, a sheep of Israel that the shepherd has gone to find because in, uh, in Jeremiah, he said he would do that. Right. Um, so we have, to go, we have to go get our, our people when they're in sin, when they're str- struggling uh, with all the things you mentioned. It's our job. Uh, Hebrews uh, 13 says that, uh, that the church is to obey their leaders. Mm-hmm. Because those leaders keep watch over your souls. Right. The word soul there is a Greek word, suke, mm-hmm. from which we get our word psychology. 
Uh, I tell people all the time, your first psychologist should be your elder. (laughs) And I tell our elders, remind them, our job is to watch out for the souls of our people. Mm -hmm. And obviously, first and foremost, that means that they stay faithful to Christ. They believe the gospel and hold fast to that truth. But then as that spills over into every er other uh, area of their life, we're to help them grow up into maturity and that means you're getting in their face sometimes, you're rebuking, you're correcting, you're challenging, you're calling out sin, all those things, and people don't like it. Uh, mm-hmm. Even though they would say, yes, please, please hold me accountable when you actually do, uh, you're a jerk. Who do you think you are? I don't, you know, don't want to hear that kind of thing. And then you've got sheep in wolf's clothing, or you've got people who are just entrapped in bitterness and some of those kind of things. I had one guy uh, who was a very, uh, well, I've had more than one. Uh, I could I could give you three examples of three men who basically told me they would take a bullet for me, mm-hmm. and then suddenly I'm of the devil. Ah. One guy left in a fit of rage because I didn't handle something the way that he wanted, and he wrote a blog and started calling me a cult leader. Oh, yeah. Another guy. Uh, well, I don't, it, that kind of stuff um, where it's just. The lies, uh, the, the deceits, and they want to spread spread that stuff throughout the congregation. They want to try to cause people not to trust me and, and those kind of things. And it's mm-hmm. just really, really uh, – it, it's so you ask at the beginning, what if somebody, you know, somebody comes to me and says, hey, I think I'm going to be a pastor. Uh, one of the things I always <laughs> ask them is, how tough are you? Yeah. How tough are you? Mm-hmm. If you can't take a beating, you have no business being an elder. Mm-hmm. Because you will get beaten spiritually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about loneliness? Do you do you struggle with uh, that problem? Because I know a lot of pastors do. Uh, I've talked to a lot of pastors actually um, over the years who say that's one of the number one things they struggle with is loneliness. Yeah, um, I don't that much because of maybe because of the way I'm wired. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've just. I don't, uh, I'm after completing my mission. I'm, I'm pursuing Christ and I have, so here's, uh, I get asked this fairly often actually by other pastors. Um, so my situation is I have a, I have a strong marriage, have great, mm-hmm. great family. And I have, uh, two other full-time pastors that I serve alongside and we have 12 elders and, and, and we really are brothers and committed to one another. We've fought many battles together. Some of these guys have been on the board since I came in 1999. They've been on this board for 20 years. Wow. So we have served together. We fought battles together. We have that, that brother and we fought each other. You know, we, we that's, what, that's what brothers <laughs> do, right? We, we have, right. Uh, we've had those internal battles as well. And so from that standpoint, uh, I, there are people that support me and, and I have friends there, but I will say this, especially as the senior leader, uh, I have been burned by elders. I have been mm-hmm. betrayed by elders uh, I have been thrown to the wolves by elders. In fact, one time, and I, I'm not going to get into this, but one time I was thrown to the wolves by the entire elder board. <laughs> and it was the hardest thing I've ever been through in my life. And uh, since then, uh, they have repented and asked my forgiveness, and I've forgiven them, and, and we persevered, and, and, and now you know we're good again. We're strong. But it was wow. just the enemy had gotten in and mm-hmm. uh, created. And I, I, I will not say that I was above uh, – I, I was going to say I'm not above reproach. I, I didn't you know, do any flagrant sinning, but I wouldn't say that my attitude was always uh, love and grace and mercy. Right. Either. You know, it, it, 
I, I, I got riled as well. But uh, that's lonely when, when you realize, okay, these men who have authority over me mm-hmm. don't always do it right and, and are, don't, don't always see what's really happening with me. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm well, I don't want to get into that too much, but um, there is that sense of, okay, I'm going to let people in as friends this mm-hmm. far, mm-hmm. but if I let them in any farther, they could really hurt me and destroy my ministry. I had one very close friend who was not a, an elder. He was just a close friend. And mm-hmm. he, he was, he was the, the closest friend I have had here in Colorado Springs. And out of nowhere, he just started becoming very, very aloof. Hmm. And I thought, what's going on? So I, you know, followed him and chased him down one day. I said, what's going on? Oh, nothing. What's going on? Nothing. And this went on for several weeks. Like, no, Hmm. you can't tell me nothing. This is, this is, this is not how this, this is not how our relationship, what's going on? Nothing. And he finally told me what was going on. It was, it was, uh, just completely insane what thought had entered his head. Oh, no. And I said, well, that's, that's not true. And you know it's not true. And there, what, why are you believing that? And he just got up and walked out. And that was it. Our friendship was over. Oh, man. And I tried to pursue it a little bit more. And, oh, we're just done. And it, to this day, it boggles my mind. I talked to his wife about it. I said, what, what, you know this is not true. And she says, she, she defended him, not she didn't she didn't agree with him, but she was a good mm-hmm. wife. She right. supported him and said, right. no, he, right. you know, he's a good man and not at all. But he, you could tell I could tell the way she was weeping yeah. as she was saying right. this. She did not agree with him, but she wasn't going to throw him under the bus with move, which is right. which is good. But right. I just it's one of those things where uh, from this point forward, I'm just I'm not going to put myself in a position like that. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just not it's not worth it. So, yeah, it is lonely. Um, I surround myself. I have friends, but mm-hmm. I don't have like the deep seated best friend kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And part right. of that, I'm not wired to need that. Like some people are, I guess, right. but yeah, uh, yeah, it is lonely. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. 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 I mean, people need to understand when they're, um, w- when they're looking at the pastor, it's not like a typical job, uh, where, where say for instance, you work in, um, uh, as an engineer, it's not a relational job where, but pastoring is it's an essential aspect of that that work is is relationships so anytime there's relationships involved it means people and that means that there's going to be heartaches there's going to be hard times there's going to be frustration there's going to be all these different things and um uh you you do you've got to be tough for it right and and what I, what it has forced me to do and what and loving. that whole right <laughs> and that whole experience with the elders and this was many years ago now when the when the whole board kind of threw me under the bus um it drove me to follow jesus example mm-hmm. because he was abandoned by everybody all his friends right. and you know his one one pl- his one friend was his father and then of course his father turns his back on him for a few hours at least um but it really did drive me to say okay jesus this is true i only need you right now mm-hmm. I, I mean that's 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 not absolute truth obviously we need community and right i can't use that as a way to say i'm not gonna be friends with anybody and ha- there are some pastors that really do look at it like a job and they get up and they preach their sermon and they go out the back door 
and they go to the car and they drive home and they don't talk to anybody. <laughs> that's that's a professional preacher. That's not pastor. Yeah. That's not shepherding. I have to be involved in the lives of people and I have to love them, be loved by them, and, and take the risk of being betrayed again. Mm-hmm. But I will say there is a, a portion of my of my heart and soul that I just don't give anybody the power to mm-hmm. hurt me with. And I take those things to Jesus. And it, it you know, really draws me to be very strong and committed to him and trust him. And it's been, it's been good, even, even if it's lonely. Hmm. Let, me, let me shift gears a little bit. Um, we could probably go on a long time. I think it, the, 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 the personal aspect of ministry is something that uh, a lot of people are foreign to. They, don't under, they, they see the pastor on Sunday or at, at certain meetings, they don't seem to understand what all goes on in their personal lives. Let, 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 me, let me ask you a little more of uh, the practical type stuff. We said seminary is a good thing. Would New Covenant School a, of Theology in particular. Yeah, New Covenant, sorry, not just any seminary. New Covenant School of Theology is a good thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you guys do mentoring, too, yeah. while they're there. So it's not just an academic thing. There, there's, a, there's a hands-on experience that goes along. And I think that's, a, I, again, I, I think that's essential is that people get hands-on experience while studying for the ministry, maybe academically. They also, too, too often, um, I see guys go to seminary, and it's an it's an academic exercise for them rather than an actual true training for the ministry. Right uh, now, there's some guys who go and they're they're, they're studying because they want to teach in an academic setting, and that's that's understandable to a certain degree. But um, I always found that the best professors I had were ones who were n- not only former pastors, but they were currently pastoring at the same time, and they brought that true life experience into the classroom with them. But let me ask you. How, would you advise a young man who who's, who's feels called to the ministry? You recognize that yes, you you've got certain uh, unique qualifications. You've got giftings that seem to be in line with this. Would you advise them to go off to a Bible college, or would you tell them to go get a vocational uh, study or vocational education or a, a, a degree in something else first before they seek seminary? No, I wouldn't. Uh, you know, in this day, if they should ever uh, the old the old school wisdom was uh, have a Doug. Yeah. Oh, did you? Yeah, I'm hearing you. Okay. All right. So, uh, did you get my question there? I did. Yes. Okay. I went silent for a while there. Um, so, so, what would you tell them to get an academic education first, uh, vocational certification or whatever, or would you say go ahead and go to Bible college? Yeah. The the old school wisdom there is get some other useful degree Mm -hmm. in case pastoral ministry doesn't work out or if you're Mm -hmm. bivocational that kind of thing uh which makes sense and uh you know pastors don't typically uh, get paid very much when you look at the scale of Mm -hmm. of what we do and what we're responsible for compared to other so-called uh industries um and (laughs) people who are in the same position you know make a whole lot more than pastors typically do and and so the, the the conventional wisdom there is get something else that you could take care of your family with if needed. And I, and I get that. I see that. I think times have changed enough now where you can find a job in something and continue your education later mm-hmm. if that becomes the, the, the scenario. How few people today have jobs in what they went to school for? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so rarely is that the case. You, you know, I was a music major, right? That's, that's, uh, <laughs> that's, just, that's how it works. So I, I would say just get the best pastoral, theological, biblical, uh, apprentice-type education you can in the context of local ministry and pursue it and see what doors the Lord opens. 
um, if that's really your calling, if you want to be a full-time pastor. Now, if you want to be bivocational, uh, which I think is, is fantastic, then yeah, you need to have something that you can mm-hmm. support your family on. And so you might need to either go to a, get an apprenticeship and something, get, get whatever education you need and experience you need to be able to get a job at something. So I, I, I think it's not a one size fits all. I think it very much depends on your, your skill set, your gifting, what you can already do, what experiences you've had, where you're trying to head and, and all those things. But I would not say the default should be go get your undergraduate degree and get a job in something and then get a seminary degree. If nothing else, it is so expensive in most scenarios to do all that. I mean, our seminary is cheap on purpose. Mm-hmm. We're not, we, we're not looking, we don't want anybody, we won't take, uh, we, we don't have a uh, financing situation. We, we, we refuse to help people go into debt to be mm-hmm. taught right. these things. Right. So it's, it's a lot of, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of money involved mm-hmm. in, uh, in undergrad and seminary these days. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's been said that, a healthy church never needs to outsource for a pastor. Um, and that's like, for instance, your church, you've got a healthy church there with um, uh, many men who are studying for ministry. You've got some churches that uh, don't seem to have anybody who uh, can fill the pulpit. Uh, you've got some churches, like for instance, yours. Uh, you, I'm sure that not all the men who go through the seminary there and remain as pastors or elders there. Uh, and they go to another church. Is it is it okay for a young man or older man who the church he's in is not currently looking to put someone on staff or eldership? Is it okay for him to get on pastorsearch.com dot com and and look around? Uh, yeah, I think it's okay. Um, mm-hmm. There is a temptation there to look at it like a job. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, wherever you end up, you want to be committed to them. I've you know, I've been here twenty years, and I plan to 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 die here. Um, I don't like the idea of being here for three or four or five years, and then when a a, a better opportunity comes along, where the Lord calls me to another church, which usually means uh, a church that's bigger and going to give me more money. Um, I, I, that mindset just doesn't seem to me to be uh, what an elder shepherd pastor should be. So I think it's okay, but again, you want to commit to a place where you really want to see them grow in the Lord, and there should be a pretty good reason why you would move on from there, I think, and, and abandon your flock. Um, now, there, there may be some health reasons or family reasons and things that uh, it just is the best situation, but if you're just looking for a better job somewhere, you probably don't have the right view of pastoral right. ministry. And I would say on the, on the flip side of that... Um, any pastor elder who's listening to this, I cannot encourage you strongly enough. You must reproduce leaders. You mm-hmm. must reproduce elders, preachers. The, the future of your church depends on it. And I don't know if guys are afraid that they're going to find somebody more equipped than they are, you know, more gifted mm-hmm. in teaching. Uh, if I have a, somebody that's better t- preacher than me, then I need to get them up there on a, on a mm-hmm. more regular basis. Mm-hmm. And I have plenty of other things I'd love to do. That'd be, you know, I'd miss it on one <laughs> hand, but, but I, it's not like I'm going to sit around and wilt. I got, I got stuff to do. Um, <laughs> but you, we have to for the health of the church. I, I like to do this because I, I want my body to hear voices other than mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so I, I let our students preach and teach. I let our other elders preach and teach. I don't do it all. I love teaching, but our sheep need to hear other voices. 
uh, mm-hmm. than just mine. And, uh, and so I think it's crucial to raise up future leaders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a great idea when I see uh, uh, churches who, like this one church I went to on Sunday nights, it was the, the pulpit was typically turned over to one of the seminary guys or one of the other gentlemen in the church who was, who was uh, what they used to call elder qualified, mm-hmm. who was not an elder, but someone who had the qualifications, who was, who, uh, who, who wanted to, who exhibited a gift to be able to preach and teach. And so they, they turned it over every Sunday night to one of those gentlemen. And it was really good, really good, um, good time for that. And I think that's something that pastors need to not fear so much is turning over the pulpit to someone else. Uh, I've, I've known churches where the, the pastor has been um, <laughs> uh, very stingy, if you will, mm-hmm. with, with the, with the pulpit. And it, 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 um, it, I think, I think it's better for the flock if, and for him as well, if he, if he would turn it over every once in a while to, to someone else to, to preach. Yep. What, what, uh, let's close this out with this question, maybe in, in or anything else you may have final, final words of advice or encouragement to the young Man, I say young man. It could be someone I, I've known. I've known when I was in Bible college. Half my class was was in their forties, and here I am in my forties, of course, getting ready to hit fifties. But um, half the class was in their forties or above, who have been retired and were were, were uh, just now pursuing the call to pastoral ministries. But what would you say to the to the as, as encouragement and advice to the man, uh, young or old, who feels called to the ministry of, of pastorate? Yeah, I would say uh, go find a pastor, hopefully your own pastor. If you're in a good church, uh, ask him to mentor you in this and let him and the elders there uh, help you identify your weaknesses. If you're weak in theology, then you need to learn theology. You need to learn the scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're strong in that, but you're weak in, in counseling and helping people, and if you're, if you're too timid and unwilling to call someone on their, on their sin, they need to work on that. Those are all things that can be, those are skills that can be honed. You can, you can get the courage and love for people to be able to say the hard things. So find, you know, get, have someone mentor you, someone that you trust, someone who is successful. Um, there, the hard thing with mentorship is there, it's almost idealistic with this view we have of mentorship. Oh, if we could just find somebody to some older guy to mentor me, if they're not any good, if they don't, if they, if, if, <laughs> You're going to be like your teacher. That's what Jesus said. The student, the mm-hmm. disciple becomes like his teacher. Pick somebody that you want to become like because mm-hmm. they're proficient at what they're doing and they're, they're doing it well. And then just ask them, tell them, hey, I will serve for nothing mm-hmm. uh, if you will teach me and train me and give me what I need to, uh, to be ready to, uh, to serve in this role. Um, I, I just think that's, uh, that's the way to go. Mm. Okay. Any further words? Uh, just last thing. Uh, you know, one of the things that uh, we do at our church is all of us who are full-time pastors, we get a three-month sabbatical <laughs> every three years. Nice. And I have gone to churches to speak uh, on behalf of pastors. I've gone to, their, to the boards to, uh, to beg them to consider this for their, church, for their pastors. It is absolutely essential to my spiritual well-being and the health, mm-hmm. my health and, and my desire to stay uh, faithful in what I'm doing here. Uh, we need rest. Nobody who's not been a pastor can understand the pressure that we feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Paul talks about it, you know, in addition to the beatings and starving and all this, he said we had the constant uh, regular concern for all the churches. That's exactly what a pastor feels. Uh, the senior guy in our context feels that even more than any individual elder. 
It's just mm-hmm. the way it is. And, mm-hmm. and, and there's so much pressure, so much sense of responsibility and, and you're never, you're never off call. You're always on call. Somebody calls you at midnight, two o'clock in the morning, somebody died. You, you can't say, Oh, it's not my, you know, even a day off. We, I'm protective of my day off, but if it's a, an emergency, it's not a day off. Mm-hmm. Um, you just can't that, you know, sorry, I can't help you in your misery today. Now I think I should have gone here earlier. I think as a pastor, <laughs> you have to say no. If it yeah. can wait till Tuesday, so my day off is Monday. If it can wait till Tuesday, I put it off till Tuesday. I'm not afraid to say that. In fact, mm-hmm. I don't respond to email and texts and phone calls uh, quickly at all. I let them go to voicemail on phone, and then I'll see if it's something I need to get to, or if it's email and text. You know, I just I don't I don't feel the urgency to respond every time somebody has a, a, a felt need. But if it's a true need, then obviously I have to take care of it. And it's just heavy and it's, it's a lot of weight. And to take that extended rest, even a week or two of vacation, it's not the same thing. So all that to say, I would strongly encourage every pastor, elder listening, every, every full-time, if this is their, their full-time uh, vocation, talk to your board about getting an extended sabbatical on a regular basis. It mm. keeps, keeps you from burnout. It keeps you from frustration. Yeah. It also, it's humbling. So I go away for three months and I don't have any interaction with my church body at all. So that forces me to say, huh, this church can survive just fine without right. me. Right? Yes. And yep. it reminds the church, that the rest of them, they can survive right. without me just right. fine for three months. So it's humbling and it's good for me. And I would just say, guys, uh, do it. Um, you won't regret it. Yeah. Yeah. I remember uh, in a pastor, when I was uh, 19 years old, I took a pastoral administration class from another college. And uh, it was basically a course on burnout. Um, <laughs> I heard that word so many times. I'm like, really? Wait a minute, burnout? What's that? Um, but uh, yeah, it was a lot about that. But as that was that was the words from a pastor. Here's some words from a, a congregational member. Um, I want to encourage those who are not seeking to be pastors after you've listened to this to understand the difficulties which pastors pastors face, uh, the joys that they do experience in pastoring, and the love and the passion that they have for for serving Christ and serving the body. But I want to encourage you to thank your pastor as, as often as you get a chance to, uh, after, after Sunday, after he's been, been uh, preaching up there, encourage him, thank him for, for his diligence and shepherding. Um, pray for your pastor. If you're not mm. praying for your pastor on a regular basis, you are, are, are failing to do your part in the church ministry toward him. Um, you need to be praying for him, pray for his protection spiritually physically but spiritually um pray for him in that way pray for him to have wisdom pray for his strength uh pray for his family because they also as we said you know satan likes to strike the shepherd to, to scatter the sheep one of the, the the parts of the shepherd's life that's very essential is his family life so pray for his family as well mm-hmm. uh pray for his children pray for his wife um and and i encourage you this doug hit on something i wanted to tell say too is is find out what your pastor's day off is uh, whether he's it's a Monday or the Saturday or whatever it is, whatever extra day, whatever days off he has, find out what days those are, and at, at almost all costs, avoid contacting him on that day. Amen. Yeah, uh, you, <laughs> I, I I do that. I try to make a habit of finding out when their off day is and not texting or emailing uh, them during those days. And the only time I you typically break that rule is when I send them a note of encouragement, hmm. uh, especially if it's after Sunday, because a lot of pastors need that encouragement the day after Sunday, because Sundays can be a hard day for them. Um, some pastors experience Monday morning blues 
because of um, something negative that was said to them uh, or, or some hurtful situation that came up or, or just feeling a burden about something that was learned on Sundays. But encourage your pastors, pray for them, thank them, and, and uh, don't bother them on their day off. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that's about it. Anything else, Doug? Nope. That's, let's wrap it up. All right. Let's wrap it up, folks. We thank you for joining us again uh, for this episode of the Cross the Crown podcast. Leave us a comment in your podcast platform, whether it be iTunes or Anchor or when it, what, the various guys. We've had people ask us about uh, different platforms, and I've, I've sent, uh, sent messages out to some folks about it. We are on almost every, every – we are on every major platform. Just search for the Cross the Crown podcast, and you'll see a picture of our faces. Uh, we're sorry about that. <laughs> but uh, you'll see a picture of our faces on the logo there. You'll know that's the right one to click. Uh, if you have – if you want a specific web link to it, ask me and I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you. The address you need to, to, to contact us at is chris at crosstocrown.org. Also, it would help us if you left a review on the platform that you're listening to, to iTunes. Leave us uh, stars and thumbs up. We really appreciate that. Also, share. Sharing is caring. You know, you've heard that <laughs> phrase before. Please share this, these podcasts with other folks. Um, I, I've get, I've get, uh, uh, little messages when it's shared and it's really encouraging to see that people, uh, are, are posting these on their Facebook pages or social platforms or, uh, saying that, uh, they, they sent this message to all their friends, this, this, uh, this podcast episode. So please share, get the word out. We really appreciate it. Uh, we're trying to reach as many people as possible with some good, uh, biblical studies here in theology. So um, with that said, we want to encourage you to live intentionally Christ-obsessed in all things. And until then, we'll see you next week.